Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, hello, and happy November, everyone. It is getting a little chilly out there for most of us. And today we have decided that we are going to give you tips on how to protect your pets from the cold. There are a few important things to consider, and then we will go into some detailed stuff. So get out your notebooks. We're going to run down the top things that you need to be concerned about as we go into the colder months. I'm just going to run down these things. So make sure you're writing fast because I'm a fast talker. (laughs) (laughs) These are the important things to consider when you are trying to protect your animals from the cold. The first one, big one, temperature. The second one, Humidity and dampness. Nobody wants to be stuck in somewhere that's damp and cold. Wind chill. Got to be careful with that. Cloud cover versus sun. Length of exposure to the elements. How long they're outside. That is a big part. Activity level of your pet. If your animal moves slowly, then they can get cold faster. And the last one is risks in your animal's environment. So what is outside that can harm your animal? Those are the most important things to consider. And now we're going to break down some of these. So I'm going to turn it over to Miranda. Yeah. So one of the first things to think about, and this is a real big risk for animals is antifreeze. And I think it's something that gets forgotten about quite a bit. How many of you regularly check your vehicle to see if there's a puddle underneath that has formed or, you know, check for puddles in your garage, on the driveways, on the roads? It's not something that I think about. (laughs) (laughs) I should, but I don't. (laughs) And if you do happen to notice it, do you clean it up? And if you do clean it up, how do you clean it up? Do you make sure that it is pretty much all taken away or could there still be some remnants of it left? Now, remnants of it being left is better than having it not being taken care of at all. But because there is that high risk of these antifreeze puddles being in various places, when you're walking your animal, you need to be paying a lot of attention to where they are walking. You want to be able to allow them to have some freedom to move around. You don't want to have them rigidly by your side, but you still need to have enough control over them so that you can pay attention and pull them away if you see them walking in an area that could be risky. So if you see a puddle that your dog is heading towards, or even cats that are roaming could end up walking in them, but they're not necessarily going to want to drink from these puddles, although dogs are more likely to drink from the puddles because they're not as discerning about their taste and they're curious. They use their tongues to test things out a lot. And because antifreeze is so poisonous, it can kill your animals. 
you really want to avoid having them drink from puddles that you don't know what could be in them. And you don't want them walking through them, if at all possible. Cats are at higher risk just due to the fact that if they walk through them and being the notorious groomers that they are, eventually they're going to lick their paws to clean themselves. And then they're going to ingest the antifreeze, even if they're not directly drinking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got to keep our animals safe. (laughs) So yeah, so there's two things with that. One, maybe if you have a vehicle, start maybe paying a little bit more attention to if there is a puddle that needs to be cleaned up. Because one, it could be a risk to the animal. But two, it also tells you that there's something going on with your vehicle. So (laughs) there's two good reasons for that. And then secondly, just pay attention to where your animal is walking. Now, what do we do if perchance, and we can't always be perfect all the time. So what are some of the things that we can do to help keep the paws clean and treat them? So if you do notice that they do end up getting into something like this, Having a a towel with you, particularly if it can be a moist towel that you can keep in a bag or something like that, as long as it's not going to freeze. If it's that cold that it's going to freeze, then you just want a dry towel. Mm -hmm. Use the towel to wipe the feet off as best as you can. And when you get home, make sure that you're washing their feet off so that you get any of that chemical off. Now, there's still a risk of it still possibly being absorbed a little bit by the skin, but it's not going to be as high a risk as ingesting it. Okay. But also pay attention to their fur. You know, a long-haired cat or a small dog with long hair, if they walk through a puddle like that, their fur could be dragging along in that puddle as well. So also make sure that you are cleaning off the bellies chest and bellies of those small animals as well. And the dogs, the bigger dogs that have long fur, like golden retrievers and whatever, just make sure that even though they're not going to be rubbing along the ground, but the back of their paws sometimes have a lot of fur. Mm -hmm. So make sure that that's cleaned as well. Yeah. And when it comes to grooming your animals, like we're not proponents of shaving your animals unless it's a medical necessity or Yeah, pretty much a medical necessity. Yeah, I don't think there's any other reason why. (laughs) (laughs) There's no gray area here. (laughs) To shave or not to shave. Not to shave. (laughs) Period. (laughs) But for these longer haired animals, it's perfectly okay to trim their fur. You don't want to go as far as the skin, but if it's just, if it's long hair and you're just sort of trimming the ends off so that it's not hanging down or having an accumulation of hair between the toes, which is going to be more likely to catch snowballs and ice balls. If you trim those areas, then that's going to help a lot. But if you also don't want to deal with that, try having them wear boots. That might take a little bit of practice to get me used to it. (laughs) But it is, it is a really great thing because it Mm -hmm. can protect from a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Now boots can be a challenge because not all dogs or cats will take to it. Cats particularly are not likely to, to take to it. Um, They don't generally like things on them. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) But if you start getting them used to it when they're a puppy, when they're at a very young age, 
then they're more likely to accept it more easily. But you can also, if it's coming later in the, later on, or there's a lot of resistance to it, you can also try starting off with a pair of socks, some baby socks, because it's not as restrictive as a boot. It's not going to be as tight fitting. And it gives them an opportunity to get used to having something over their foot. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the reason for the resistance is they can't feel the ground with their paw pads. And that can be really disconcerting, I think, not having that direct touch. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But you can also try using positive reinforcement where you use a clicker and some treats to help encourage them wearing it so that they're connecting the wearing of the boots with something positive. And eventually they'll connect that with, oh, I put the boots on. Oh, I get to go for a walk. Ah, yes. Association. (laughs) But if you're going to use little baby socks, I just had a thought. Maybe, um, you know, they have little slipper socks where they have like little grippies on the bottom. Oh, yeah. Like maybe that will be better because then their feet won't be slipping out from underneath them if you have hardwood floors or if you have tile floors, because that's going to make them scared as well. They don't like to slip all over the floor. So if you're going to go with the baby soft route, maybe if you have hardwood floors or tile, get like little kids socks that have like little grippies on the bottom Mm -hmm. that might help them feel a little bit more secure. Yeah. The question might be is whether the size that's small enough will have that option on it or not but yeah but i'm i'm sure there's there's so many of those nowadays i see them everywhere so i think they're more and more available Mm -hmm. don't quote me on that but i know when i go looking for socks half the time i can't find socks that don't have groupies on it (laughs) oh really When the, when the cats were kittens, I was looking for like nice, you know, thick socks to make little sweaters for them. And they all had the groupies on them. Mm. I mean, these are like nine week old kittens that I couldn't find socks without groupies. So (laughs) it was was tough. (laughs) I was trying to find it. So yeah, they're everywhere, especially for into the fall and into the winter, or if you're in the Southern hemisphere going into the summer, your winter, (laughs) which would be our summer year. Or there's like the slipper socks kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what they are. They're like the little, they're socks. They're not thick. They're just like socks, like fuzzy socks. They have like these little rubber Mm -hmm. little appliques on the bottom. Yeah. When I was looking for socks for my cats, I couldn't find any. It didn't have it. So (laughs) I guess it depends on the time of year. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's an option. It's out there. (laughs) And some of these specialty pet stores too might carry it more than your regular pet store as well. So you can take a look there. But the benefit of wearing the boots, aside from the antifreeze, is that it also can help protect them from frostbite, chemical burns, or poisoning from ice melting agents, because that's another thing that is commonly used during the winter months. Always go for pet safe versions of those melting salts. Mm -hmm. Even they can be a little iffy, but at least it's better. Mm -hmm. And as well, these cold temperatures can potentially cause their paws to crack and possibly bleed. If you've ever noticed that in yourself, I know there are some people who they are very sensitive to the cold and their hands become very chapped and dry and cracked and stuff like that. And it just looks very uncomfortable. 
So animals pads can have the same thing happen to them. So routinely check your animals pads. Mm -hmm. Now there is another alternative that you can consider as well. There are apparently some balms that are out there that are made from plant-based fats or waxes. And these can help to moisturize the pads if you're not going to be using the, the boots when they're out there. I think some of them do have certain protective qualities. It's like a real thick salve that will stay on the paw mm-hmm. a little bit longer, mm-hmm. you know, but make sure your animal doesn't eat that stuff off. Right. So we talked about their paws. Now, what about their coats? I think it's a common misconception that people think, well, animals have fur, so they're not going to feel the cold. Not true. (laughs) Animals feel the cold (laughs) just as much as we do. Mm -hmm. And it can be to varying degrees, depending on the type of fur they have, the type of circulation they have, how healthy they are. There's a whole bunch of things that can affect that. So one of the really good things to do to help keep their coats healthy and dry and functioning properly is to brush them regularly. Just like when we brush our hair, it helps to stimulate our our follicles and stimulate the natural oils that are in our scalp, which help prevent things like the dandruff and stuff like that. So it's the same idea with, with animals. When they've got a healthy skin, healthy coat, it's going to protect them more from the cold. And they like it too. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, really... they do. I mean, I think yeah. some animals are like, don't touch me with that thing. But <laughs> there are some that just absolutely love the brushing. And it's a good bonding thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good bonding thing to do with your animal. Mm-hmm. And of course, some animals are going to need some extra help with keeping warm for various reasons. So they might need to have a sweater or a coat to wear when they are outside for any length of time. Small dogs especially will feel the cold really quickly. So they really need to have a sweater or coat on. Yeah. And if an animal does have health issues, it is definitely better to keep them warm. I know with my cats being feline leukemia virus positive, I won't even let them in the window. They love the windows, but I won't let them in the windows if it's below 40 degrees Fahrenheit without a sweater because it's just better for them. I mean, they have a virus that's just sitting there in remission in their body. Who knows when it's going to come out? But if you have an animal that has cancers or, you know, they're still going to want to go outside and have a walk, Mm -hmm. you know, keeping them warm with the sweater and keep their vital organs warm is going to help them not succumb to the cold and I guess stay a little bit healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they'll be at less risk of becoming hypothermic or getting frostbite on their extremities. Yeah. There's a couple other things. Yeah. We're talking about grooming your animals, but when you come in from the cold, let's say you're walking down a city street and you have no idea what's being used on the city streets and the city sidewalks. When you're bathing your animal to get all that stuff, make sure you don't overbathe your animal because that can cause even more problems because not only are you wiping away all of the natural oils from the skin, it's going to dry it out. Make sure you don't overbathe your animal. If you do bathe your animal, make sure if you bring them outside, their coat is completely dry. You don't want to have any dampness in the coat before you bring them out into the cold. It's just like what you do with your kids. Like you don't want your kids running outside with wet hair. 
Mm-hmm. So don't let your animals run outside with wet hair. <laughs> right. And usually if you are giving them a wash after a walk, most of the time it's just their paws and maybe like the lower part of their legs that need to be cleaned off and maybe a little bit of a wash on their underside. You don't have to wash their entire body. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to give them an entire bath, I would say probably no more than once a month is really needed. Unless they're getting into something, they don't need it more than that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So what are some of the other things that we would like to share? Yeah, if you live in an area where there might be pools and lakes or even ponds or small bodies of water such as that, you need to be careful with your animals trying to go across them or onto them because you don't know whether or not it's completely frozen and you don't want your your animal to end up falling through the ice. Yeah, because that'll kill them in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Just like how you don't let your kids go onto these bodies of water. It's the same thing with your animals. So if you have a personal outdoor pool, which I don't know how many people have a personal outdoor pool in colder climates, but maybe there is, I don't know. But make sure that you block off any access to this because there have been cases of animals falling into these pools and drowning. I think usually if it's in a colder climates, most of the time, I think people drain them pools, but just be aware of that. And just always supervise your animals continuously when you're outside with them and maintain control. That's going to be your best way of keeping them safe, keeping them out of trouble. Remember, they have the mind of a three to a five-year-old child. So they may not always think before they act. And it's up to us to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Curiosity can get the best of them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. They don't think they don't make the mistakes too often, but are like second and third time mistakes. Yeah. They still will jump before they think. Mm -hmm. And I've never actually heard of dogs or animals doing this, but apparently it is a thing that some of them, I guess, like kids have this desire to want to lick a metal pole. Oh, visions of movies where they always show the people getting their tongues stuck to metal poles. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that to our animals. (laughs) Yeah. If you see metal poles on fences or signposts or different places like that, just try to keep them away from these things. Or if you do allow them to be sniffing around that area, Make sure you've got a taut enough hold on the leash so that if they do look like they're about to lick the pole or something like that, that you can pull them away right away before they yeah. do that. Because <laughs> that's not going to be a pleasant thing to have to deal with. <laughs> no. And the poor dogs and cats. Well, I don't think, I don't know if a cat would do it, but I just, you never know. Let's avoid that. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of it either, but hey, you never know. Just like people, they're all different intelligence levels. Some may never even think about doing it and some may. I'm not saying people go out and do that, but I guess if movies are of any reflection of humanity, (laughs) maybe some people do. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think with kids, it 
Yeah. I think with kids, you can come with the dares. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> so do we have anything else that we want to cover before we close the first half? I can repeat the important things to consider so we can make sure everybody gets it in their notebooks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's do that. All right. These are the important things to consider. If you haven't written them down yet, now is the time. Temperature, humidity and dampness, wind chill, cloud cover versus sun, the length of exposure to the elements. Doesn't matter whether it is rain or cold or snow or sun, the length of time is really important. Because you can even have a lot of sun where it's like negative 20 below Fahrenheit. And that's not good for your animals. Mm -hmm. The activity level of your pet and the different risks in your animal's environment. There are some things in the outside environment that we can control. Mm -hmm. There are others we cannot. So taking the steps to do what we can is going to ensure that the animals are at their safest. Mm -hmm. So make sure your outdoor property at your home is free of any puddles, anything that could harm them and do what you can when you are taking them out in public properties to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. I just want to add that the first four things that we mentioned, they actually kind of all go together. So the humidity and dampness, wind chill, and the cloud cover versus sun all affect how the temperature is being felt. You know, how we look at our weather forecast and it's like actual temperature versus what the temperature feels like. Mm, good point. So don't just look at what the actual temperature is because the humidity and dampness, wind chill and cloud cover are all going to make it feel colder than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Yes. So hopefully you got that all written down in your notebooks. And if you have any questions, make sure that you reach out to us. You can email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com, or you can join us on Facebook, the animal files community. That is our group and the animal files official. That is our page. Feel free to pop in, ask your questions and join our community. So I think that's about it for the first half. Mm -hmm. Do you have any last minutes? No, just uh, remember to join us after the break and we will delve into some more details of the big tips that we just went over. So stick around and we'll be right back. Hi everyone. As season two of the Animal Files comes to a close, Miranda and I want to thank you all so much for hanging out with us over the last two years. We are looking forward to all of the great stuff we have planned in 2023. And if you like what we're doing here and want to support us further, head on over to patreon.com slash the Animal Files official and consider becoming a patron. You can also pop over to our website, www.theanimalfilespodcast.com to give a one-time donation or to grab yourself some merch. Now let's get back to our show. And we are back. You are listening to The Animal Files. We are talking about how we can protect our animals from the cold. So the first half, we went over just the basics 
And this half, we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to go into some information about a couple other types of animals that are outdoors a lot. So get your notebooks out, lots of information. Hopefully we can get through this without going too (laughs) in-depth, as is our way. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with limiting the time spent outdoors. This is a really important thing, especially with people who think that dogs belong in the backyard. And for people who insist that their animals need to roam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we basically debunked the myth that animals don't feel the cold. They do have parts of their body that are not covered by fur or aren't covered with a whole lot of fur. And in very cold temperatures, these parts of their bodies are very susceptible to getting frostbite. And this is on their ears their pads, their nose, and their tail. And I don't know how many cats I've seen who are missing parts of their ear, the tops of their ear, because of frostbite. Yeah, that's a common thing. Mm -hmm. So they need to be able to have shelter that they can get into after a reasonable amount of time. And if it's really cold out, they shouldn't really go outside at all, except for to do their business. I agree. Yeah. Maybe it's a little different in places where the cold temperatures last for long periods of time. I know where I'm at, we usually only get cold snaps that will last for two, three days at the most. We had did, did have a year where I think it lasted for about a week and a half. Ah, That wasn't normal, but... <laughs> but I mean, if you can't take your dog for a walk for two to three days or let your cat out to roam... You know, you might have to actually engage with them more inside. Make it worth their while to stay inside where it's warm. Mm -hmm. Offer them a distraction that is going to take them away from their desire to go outside all the time. And especially when it's really cold out, you need to be careful of the young, the old, the small animals, the short-haired animals, and the ones that have various illnesses. Because if they have health conditions, they're going to have a lot more difficulty in regulating their body temperature. Young animals, they have not yet developed the fat, the metabolism, or the full fur coat to help with regulating their body temperature. And because small animals are so much closer to the ground and the snow, their core is going to get colder much more quickly than a dog who is much higher up off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed with having ill animals off and on for the last 20 years, at least with Frankie, you know, typically animals can sit in the sun for extended periods of time without getting uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But when he was ill, he couldn't regulate his temperature. He was in the window for five minutes with the sun on and he was already overheating. Mm. So their bodies don't work as well as a healthy animal. So making sure that young, old, small, ill and short haired animals are adequate care is really important. Mm -hmm. It's about the animal. It's not about convenience for the human. (laughs) And as responsible pet owners, we need to put boundaries on our animals. Animals don't get to do whatever the heck they want you know that it's too cold for them. Mm -hmm. So keep them inside. Mm -hmm. You know better than they do. Mm -hmm. Again, three to five-year-old brain. (laughs) 
again, going back to children, it's like if a child throws a tantrum because they want something, do you give in to them or do you deal with the tantrum? Hopefully in a more positive way than, <laughs> than not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's going to be the same with an animal. They're probably going to whine or make noises or do whatever to try to get what they want to get outside, especially when it comes to cats who are used to roaming outside. You're going to have to find a way to deal with it. It's better than having them ending up with frostbitten extremities or hypothermia or whatever. Agreed. Now, there are breeds that have been bred for colder temperatures. You know, you think about the ones that are in the climates up north, for example, such as huskies or some other breeds like that. They do have the ability to tolerate the cold quite a bit. But even despite that, they still need to be provided with shelter and warmth. A lot of the time, I think these breeds don't necessarily want to be inside because they find the heat inside the home too warm for them. Mm -hmm. But if you do keep them outside, you do want to make sure that you do have appropriate shelter for them. And well, we're going to talk about the shelters in a moment here. But long-haired and thicker-coated animals are also a little bit more tolerant of the cold. But again, you still have to be mindful of the temperature, their exposure, all of these different things. You know, we were talking about what if you have to keep them inside for longer periods because of the cold temperatures? Well, according to the Montreal SPCA, 15 minutes of mental stimulation can be equivalent to one hour of physical exertion in terms of energy expenditure. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it really doesn't take a lot of time as long as you're willing to make the effort of finding some mentally engaging activity to do with your animal. And the key is to do it with your animal, not to leave them to do it by themselves. <laughs> yes, that is the key. <laughs> do it with your animal. <laughs> Spend time with your animal. <laughs> now we'll go into discussing a little bit about the outdoor shelters and food and water in terms of what is needed during colder temperatures. This will be good because I think a lot of us question what is actually necessary and what we don't want to overspend and not have or underspend and not have enough. It's kind of a complicated situation. How do I set up my animal for being outside? Mm -hmm. So I think this will be really good. So make sure you get your notebooks out, get your pens handy. So it's important that any shelter you have outside is off the ground and is insulated. Because even if you don't have a heating system within the shelter, if it's insulated, that's going to help with helping to keep the cold out. The animal's body heat will heat up the area and you don't want it too big, just the right size. Yeah. The animal's body heat will heat up the structure for them and keep them toasty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you've got too big a space, then their body heat is just going to dissipate and won't accumulate in order to help keep them warm. So it does have to be the right size, like you said. All right. So let's start off with the dogs because a lot of dogs tend to have dog houses. Mm -hmm. 
And this is going to go with the cats. So if you have cats that go outside and spend a lot of their time outside, this is also going to go to help you. But also, if you are one of these amazing humans that take care of feral cat colonies, this will help you set up the colony for shelter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to the size... It should be large enough for the animal to move around. So they should be able to turn around. They should be able to stand up without bumping their body anywhere. So they should feel like they have freedom to move around, but they don't need to have a huge amount of room. It's kind of like a kennel in a way. Same idea with a kennel. It's like large enough for them to stand up and turn around, but not too much room to do much else because Most of the time, what they're going to be doing is just resting or sleeping in there anyways. You will have to have a little bit of extra room for their food and their water. So you don't want it to be too close to their bedding area because you don't want them to ending up tipping it over or having the water or food getting onto the bed or something like that. Then the moisture is going to make the bedding less effective in keeping them warm. And you're going to have to clean it more often. So depending on the type of animal it is, you may need to have a heating system installed of some sort. That's something I don't know a whole lot about, but there's probably something that can be used for that. But I think in most cases, I have been in the market for an outdoor home. If you're going to get like a legit dog house or a cat house, Mm -hmm. there are many homes that actually are set up with little holes where you can buy these heating flooring kind of things. Oh, okay. I'm still researching it Mm -hmm. because I want to find the best one for my needs. But when I'm looking for the homes, it actually says holes in the floor to allow for, you know, a heating element or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the market for a good insulated dog or cat house, there are plenty on the market that actually either come with a heating element or they are set up so you can buy one to add on to your order. Mm. Now that's if you want to go for like the legit insulated outdoor enclosures for animals, Mm -hmm. for cats, dogs, bunnies, whatever. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of houses that are very similar to bunnies and cats. They actually sell it for both. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there are products out there that can make this really simple for you. Mm. Well, there you go. And I know how to make a DIY little shelter that use styrofoam for insulation. Mm. Maybe I can put something together and we can put it in our Facebook group. Mm. Okay. That sounds great. So of course you want the shelter to be dry and reasonably warm to allow for comfort because that's, that's the key thing. You want them to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to be too cold. You don't want them to be too hot and you don't want there to be any excessive moisture. And it's important to, when you create the shelter, that you have the opening of the shelter facing a direction that is going to help prevent the elements from coming in, the wind, the rain, the snow, from being able to come into the shelter. And if you don't like have a fence or something like that, that you can face it towards, then consider putting a flap over the opening that could be like plastic or burlap or something like that, that is heavy and is going to hang down that the wind and rain is not going to be able to blow open. Good tips. And for smaller animals like feral cats, 
the enclosure should also have when I'm finding out in my research an escape hatch. Hmm. So you have two openings. Hmm. So say you have a feral cat colony and there are some bully cats that a cat can't be bullied and trapped in a house Hmm. by another animal, whether it be a raccoon or whether Hmm. it be another cat having an extra door. One can be like an outdoor and one can be an indoor. Mm-hmm. You can set it up that way with like plastic flaps or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the animal can get out if it's cornered by another animal. That's a really good point. Yeah. It was one of the things that I found. I'm like, oh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was like, I like that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have even thought about that, you know, that being an issue, but yeah, I mean, in a feral colony and, and that type of thing, that risk is probably really high because I don't know a lot about feral cats, but I would imagine that they're pretty independent of each other. For the most part. Yeah, they are. So they're not like just one big happy family (laughs) like dogs might be. No, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in a dog, I don't think you need that so much as a dog, because I don't know how many how many animals are going to try to trap a dog in its enclosure. Right. You know, unless you're being neglectful for a tiny dog. And keeping a tiny dog outside, which is completely wrong. Hmm. You know, a dog's not really going to need that escape hatch. Right. But a cat will because they're fighting for a lot of things. They're fighting other cats. They're fighting raccoons. It's just a way to keep them safe even more. Hmm. So now with the bedding, because we've talked about keeping it dry, you need to be aware of what you're using for bedding. If you just put like a bunch of blankets in there, those are likely going to absorb moisture and become cold and damp and could also potentially in warmer climates could become moldy. So you want to make sure you're using something like straw or something like that, that is not going to be absorbing moisture. You might still be able to have some kind of a blanket on top, but you probably want to look for something that maybe states that it is for outdoor use. Yeah. Outdoor use, waterproof, something like that. I'm sure that they sell stuff like that specifically for outdoor shelters. Yeah. And I need to stress straw is not hay. Mm. They are two entirely different things. Straw is beige in color and very dry. Mm. Hay is green in color. Mm -hmm. Hay does have moisture in it. So you could end up creating a fungus Mm-hmm. in that. So you want to make sure it's straw. It's that yellow colored material that you use for like Halloween mm-hmm. or pine shavings, but I would stick to the straw. Mm-hmm. Shavings could be kind of uncomfortable because it can have sort of sharpish edges on them. So that might not be very comfortable to lie on unless you're putting something over. Yeah, no, just stick with the straw. Yeah. If you go to a farmer's market or a craft store or a Home Depot or thing or Lowe's, look for straw, mm-hmm. not hay. Mm-hmm. Just want to make that stipulation because unless you grew up on a farm, some people think they're the same thing and they're not. Right. So you also want to make sure you're changing the, the bedding regularly. So check it to make sure that it's clean and that it is still dry and change it as needed. Another important thing This is a really important thing when it comes to outdoor shelters is making sure that there is accessible water at all times. And the key thing is that it has to be in something that the water is not going to freeze. 
So I know that there are types of bowls that you can use that are have like a heating sort of element to them. It doesn't actually make the water hot. It just keeps the water from freezing. And again, you want to be checking regularly that there is always a sufficient amount of water, that it hasn't spilled, and that it is fresh. Even though it's cold weather, they still need to drink a lot of water. It's not just in the heat. Mm -hmm. And if you are feeding them in the shelter, you want to make sure you're not leaving the food out for long periods. Again, it's going to freeze and it's going to, well, it may not necessarily go off, but it's just not going to be good after a certain period of time. So within half an hour to an hour, if they haven't eaten all of the food, bring it back inside. Don't just leave it sitting out there. Yep. That's pretty much for dogs and cats. Now, horses have different needs, but yet they still go under those markers that we had mentioned, the temperature, the windshield, all of that. You need to keep all that into consideration. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about horses because horses tend to be outside a lot, especially in the winters. Mm -hmm. Now, I would assume that most places that have horses would have a barn for them, but I could be wrong on that. Depends on the zoning. Okay. I think there's places where you're not allowed to have a structure of some sort in the field. It's weird. It's one of those mm. things where it has to do with zoning. But if the horses are out in a pasture, mm-hmm. sometimes they're not allowed to have a structure out in the pasture. Mm. So check your local zoning laws for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the sounds of that, but it's different from a barn. Mm-hmm. So it depends if the horses have a barn on property, then that might be the reason why they're not allowed to have shelters out in the pasture. I don't know. I think it's ridiculous because they still need to be out of the sun. Right. But yeah, I have heard that. I do not know how widespread that is. Mm -hmm. And if that's just a localized areas, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But just check your zoning laws. Make sure because a lot of structures you need permits for. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you contact your town, your village Mm -hmm. to find out. Well, hopefully they are allowed to at least have either or a barn or a three-sided run. Yes, I believe they do. That's good. I believe they do. Yeah, because they do need to be able to get protection from the elements, just like any other animal. So they need to be able to stand in areas where they're going to be sheltered from the wind or from the rain or from the snow or whatever. If they have these, they have a large area that they're able to run around in. Then if these runs are around and they'd have the ability to just go to these runs as needed to get protection. But if they are mostly in smaller pastures where they don't have as much room and they don't have the shelter in the pastures themselves, then you would need to be monitoring your horses as well as the weather to make sure that you are taking them into the barn when the weather does get really bitter. Mm-hmm. If it's not overly cold, you might be able to just use blankets on them. Not all horses will necessarily feel the need to have a blanket. Again, it depends on the horse. Just like any other animal, it's like every animal feels the cold differently. Just like humans feel the cold differently. Like I know for myself, I feel the cold a lot more than a lot of other people I know. And so <laughs> I'll be wearing like, same here. <laughs> I'll be wearing three layers of clothes and a hat and everything like that. And I'll see people walking around in shorts. <laughs> so. <laughs> They're all different. Everybody's different. Even the animals, they're people too. They can be different. <laughs> 
<laughs> but a lot of people groom their horses and they either shave their winter coats off for aesthetic purposes or they let the coat grow. Horses will grow hair in the winter mm-hmm. and then they shed it in the spring. So making sure that you've done what you need to do to protect them from the cold if you're not allowing their coats to grow out. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that because I'd, I'd never heard of body clipping before. So I just watched a little video on it. And apparently body clipping is also used to help prevent the buildup of sweat and irritation, I suppose, underneath the saddle or something during riding. Yeah, but I don't know how much sweating is going to be happening when it's 20 degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that they probably don't typically do it in the winter. It's probably more like when it suddenly becomes colder and they weren't preparing for that. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I know there's, there's a reason for it, but there's also a reason for horses to grow out their coats in the winter. Right. Yeah. So just be aware of whether or not your horse is going to need some additional help with warmth with a blanket and pay attention to when they're going to need access to shelter if they don't have free range to it themselves. Yes. And just like our cats and dogs, they need to have access to unfrozen water at all times. Again, you can find heated buckets. You can find heated bowls. Well, bowls. I don't think a horse is going to use a bowl, but <laughs> um, <laughs> heated buckets and de-icers that you maybe you can put the bucket on top of or something. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I don't own horses, so I don't know all of the detailed things that they have available, mm-hmm. but make sure that they have unfrozen and fresh water at all times is just as important. Mm-hmm. And in extreme cold, whether it's a dog, a cat, a horse, they're going to be expending more energy just to try to keep warm. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that, they're going to need more food than normal just to be able to keep their body temperature regulated. With horses, you want to feed them more or unlimited amounts of forage, which in their case is usually hay. Mm -hmm. With dogs and cats, you don't necessarily want to give them unlimited amounts of food, but you will probably need to increase how much you are feeding them. Yes. They need a little fat cap on top of their little body so they can keep warm. Mm -hmm. Just be mindful of how much is enough and how much is too much, because you also don't want to end up making your animals obese by giving them too much. Or waste foods if they don't eat it. If they're smart animals and they don't overeat, Mm -hmm. you don't want to have spoiled food out there waiting for them. Right. All right. So we are coming up on the end of our show today. So let's run through some other tips that might be helpful to our listeners. Mm -hmm. And then we'll close out the show. Now, if you have roaming cats, you might end up having them seek shelter from the elements under your vehicle. Not only cats, other small animals might too. And I actually just saw a squirrel on top of a tire just the other day. So I've had chipmunks live in my car. Yeah. It was sitting for a long time and there was chipmunks in my car. (laughs) And my car is garaged all the time. So they got into the garage and they were just setting up camp inside my car. (laughs) Crazy. The thing is, is that it may not be obvious that they're there. So in the winter, particularly, they want to try to get close to the heater Of course, this is a vehicle that has been running and hasn't been sitting for hours because otherwise it's just going to be cold anyways. Yeah, but But it could keep them 
safe from elements of rain True. and wind. Yes. So it's a really good idea every time you go into your vehicle to bang on the hood or close the doors loudly or honk your horn or something like that, because that will help to scare them away. You don't want to end up injuring them by starting the motor because they could be really close to the motor when you start. So you don't want to end up injuring them by having them still there when you start up your vehicle. So just do something to try to scare them away. Yeah. And just as we said, all pets may need more food in the winter to maintain their energy levels in the extreme cold. So make sure you monitor that a -hmm. little bit. Just want to repeat that because that's really important. Mm -hmm. And a reminder that all pets will feel the cold in different degrees. So not every cat's going to feel cold the same way every other cat does. Same for dogs and horses and bunnies or any other animal that lives outside. Mm -hmm. Because this can depend on the type of coat that they have, whether they've got the long coat, the thick haired coat, whether they've been shaved or not, which hopefully they haven't been, what their body fat levels are, what their activity level is. Of course, an animal that's been running is not going to feel the cold the same way as one that's been stationary mm-hmm. or just meandering. <laughs> <laughs> the health of the animal is going to affect how they feel the cold and the age of the animal is going to affect because young animals and senior animals are going to feel the cold much more than a middle-aged or average adult. Mm-hmm. And just like in the summer, you don't want to leave your pet in the cars alone for any length of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you insist on bringing your animal with you someplace that they don't necessarily need to be, then make sure there's always somebody in the vehicle with them. Yes. You don't need to bring your German shepherd to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You just don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, another thing that is something to be aware of, and this is in the case of if your dog gets loose, slips out of its leash, or somehow gets out of the home, or even with your roaming cats, this can be a real concern in the winter because snow and ice can disguise or hide familiar scents, which can make it difficult for them to find their way back home. So it's not a guarantee, but if you want to increase the chances of being reconnected with your cat or dog, it's really important to have a microchip. This can be scanned by any vet facility or animal control facility, or a lot of the rescue or humane shelters will have the scanner as well. And they will be able to get the information, providing you keep it up to date and match you back up with your animal. ID tags as well can help, but that can be a risk on cats because with their desire to jump and explore and all of these get into things. tight spaces. Yeah. It's like their collars can get caught on stuff. So the microchip is definitely microchip is best. Yeah. The best. Yeah. We also have to be prepared for a lot of things that can happen during the cold. Mm-hmm. We have to be prepared for snowstorms, blizzards, power outages. These are all part of the winter months <laughs> mm-hmm. and make sure you're prepared. Yeah. How are you going to keep yourself and your animals warm if the heat gets shut off somehow, or where are you going to go? Where can you take them? That's probably the more important thing is where can you go and where can you take them? Because not all places are going to allow animals. So yeah, well, I've noticed that some shelters are 
starting to accept some animals, but not every shelter. So if you live in a municipality that they have a couple of different shelters, maybe only one Mm -hmm. will accept pets Mm -hmm. and the other ones will say no pets. So make sure that you know where to go and you're up to date on what your town, municipality, your village, what their protocols are. Yeah. You don't want to leave it until something like this happens and then find out you've got no place to go. Advanced preparation. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of talked about this a little bit, but consider providing a dry draft-free shelter for the feral and the stray cats that are in your area to help protect them from the cold and damp as well. Yep. And that is why I am researching outdoor enclosures for cats. Up where my mom lives, we have a cat that needs to have a place where he can go to be away from the elements, something that's small, something that he'll feel comfortable in and something that keeps him safe. There's a lot of options out there. That's what I'm finding out. So if you know, or you want to help, or you already currently helping a feral colony research, because there's a lot of options out there. I'm coming across a lot of options and depending on your budget, there's something for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you might even be able to just donate a little bit of time or money towards somebody who is willing to create or build or buy or whatever, something like this. So last but not least, if you notice any domestic animals, whether it is a dog, a cat, a horse, cows, pigs, any domestic animals, if you find that they are not being provided with appropriate shelter, food, or water, please speak up and contact your animal control to investigate it. Yes, especially, especially in the winter months, because these animals, there are so many people out there that just don't care. They collect animals and they don't do what they need to do, or they just I don't think they're doing the bare minimum and that's good enough, but these animals are suffering because there's a lot of people out there that are neglecting their animals. And it doesn't matter whether it's a cat, a dog, or a horse. It doesn't matter the size or the weight. There are animals out there suffering. And if you see it, speak it. Contact the local authorities. Do what you need to do to help protect these animals. Mm -hmm. They don't deserve They do not deserve this neglect Mm -hmm. at all. And the more details you can document about the situation, the better you'll be able to help the investigation of the situation. Yeah. And there are ways, if you want to stay anonymous, there are ways that you can still be anonymous and help the animals. Mm -hmm. I would say just speak up and chat it from the rooftops. It's important for us to do what we can for these animals. We need to give animals a voice. And that's what the Animal Files is all about, giving animals a voice because they're people too and they need our help. So let's do what we can. Mm -hmm. Keep these safe and warm (laughs) and protected and loved. Mm -hmm. So again, if you have any questions or if you have any experiences or stories or anything like that you would like to share that is related to the topic we discussed today, We'd love to hear it, Uh, share it in the Animal Files community Facebook group or email us at the Animal Files podcast at gmail.com and connect with us on our Facebook page at the Animal Files official. Yep. We must be their advocates. 
So let's get together and do it. <laughs> Keep them safe. So I guess that is it for today. I think we are pretty efficient there with our information. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So have a great week. Be well. Bye for now. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The Animal Files will be back with a brand new season in 2023 with more great interviews and topics to help keep your animals safe, happy, and healthy each and every week. In the meantime, you can head on over to our website at www.theanimalfilespodcast.com and check out our growing list of resources and to stay connected with us on our socials. 